going to get all the way through it um, real quickly. I got to dial my wife's number here because she wants to listen in. Um, all right, Titus chapter 2, and we're going to be beginning in verse 11 this morning. And how many of you remember from, uh, you're on speakerphone. How many of you remember from last week um, the, uh, the amount of time? Did you guys think about how much time you wasted this week while you were at work um, on the Internet and those kinds of things? You didn't go to work? Okay. I, I did have a couple of phone calls to this week, and people said, I don't want to bother you at work, but, you know, this was important. And, you know, I don't want people to think that they can't ever call me during the week. Uh, that's, that's not the point. Uh, but the point is, when we are self-controlled and when we're living godly lives and we see the description um, that will be, you know, of being... Uh, slaves that are subject to our masters or our employers, um, that is a picture of obedience by demonstrating that, you know, to the world. So if we start in verse 11 and we read through the end of the chapter, he says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people, and it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his his very own, eager to do what is good, these, then, are the things that you should teach. Encourage and, in, and rebuke with all authority, and do not let anyone despise you. Um, let's pray real quick. Father, I thank you for your word today. Lord, I thank you for the instructions that you give us. Um, Lord, to, to keep a, a good relationship with you. Um, Lord, to be able to share your, your message of salvation to everybody that we, uh, that we meet and that we encounter And so, Lord, I pray that you would uh, use me today. Lord, I pray that it's your word um, that is heard. And I pray that you just grow us today and equip us for this week. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So in verse 11, when he begins, he says the first word there is for. Um, And this word brings a transition from, from Paul exploring Uh, the affirmation that godly living is demanded by God's truth to um, a a position where uh, the central aspect of God's truth that does demand godly living is grace. And so it turns it to a theological foundation. Um, If we look at Habakkuk 2.4, you don't have to turn there. We've, We've quoted this verse many times, but Habakkuk 2, 4 says, See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by their faithfulness. And so when we read the descriptions, I'm sorry, this thing is 
like falling off my ear. My ear's not the right size, I guess, for this thing. Uh, but anyway, when, when we read uh, through the descriptions in Titus 2, verses 1 through 10, it, it's a call to faithful living. Um, it's a call to how we live from day to day, hour to hour, how we make decisions um, that have a spiritual, any kind of spiritual um, impact. And we, we look at, okay, how would Jesus want me to respond in this, in this particular situation? And so when we fully understand it is the gospel of the grace of God which teaches how Christians to live, it changes how we make decisions. Um, it changes how we view other people. It changes how we, um, how we talk to one another, how we treat one another, because we no longer look at how we've been treated and we no longer look at how we feel about the situation um, and it no longer makes a difference what is going to happen to me because the focus becomes on the end, what the finished product is when we stand before Jesus and when he comes for us. So if we look at, I've got several verses here, um, just on this verse 11 that we want to look at. Romans 5, 15 is where we're going to start. If we turn there, Romans chapter 5, verse 15. And we're going to read through chapter 6, verse 2, and it says, The gift is not like the trespass, for if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Now can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin? I'm sorry, I read that wrong. Verse 16, nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought, the, brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life? Through the one man, Jesus Christ. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in the condemnation for all people, so also the one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? So if we stop and we kind of take stock in what this whole passage is talking about, the original sin that took place, God knew about before the foundation of the world. He knew that Adam was going to sin. He knew that Eve was going to sin. And he knew that that was going to be original sin. And so when Paul's writing about grace in this particular context, if we ask the question, 
is the world evil today? I mean, what's, what's the most evil thing that you can possibly think of that happens today? You know, and if we were to ask that kind of question, we could come up with all kinds of, of answers of how evil or how bad evil really is today. And then we read this and we say, grace is so much more than that. And if we understand that back in Titus 2, in verse 11, grace appears that offered salvation to all people. All of a sudden, grace has, is such a, has such a magnitude, you know, that I think if we don't understand all of what Paul is writing about, we don't understand what all um, Genesis 2 is talking about when original sin takes place, we, it's difficult to grasp how great grace really is and how much it actually cost Jesus when he did hang on the cross and he did see every single one of our sins. So anyway, um, did, did that make sense? Did everybody catch that? Any comments or questions? Right, right. I mean, every sin that we deem from God and everything else is in Christ. Right. And he's full of grace. Right. It's not just that's a compartment. Right, right. He's full of grace and truth. Right. Yep. So if we turn to Romans 3, just back a page or two from where you were, and we read verses 21 through 24. This is a familiar passage probably to most of you as well. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. So what, is, what he's saying right here is, is truth was truth before there was a knowledge of what was wrong. Or, I, no, that's not saying it right. Truth was truth, and righteousness was righteousness, and sin was sin, um, before Moses wrote the law. How's that? Okay? Um, and there was an awareness of that. So <clears throat> I've, I've heard people say this many times. You know, um, the speed limit changes in certain areas throughout, you know, when you're driving down a road. And people, well, that's dumb. That's stupid to have the speed limit that low right there. You know, I, it doesn't matter what you think about it. it. That's just what it is. And you have the choice to obey or disobey um, what's been posted. So anyway, the righteousness, in verse 22, the righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented, I'm going to go ahead and read 25 as well, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. Uh, verse 26 as well. I can't leave the, the sentence incomplete. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus Christ. Now keep your finger in this because we're going to come back to this verse later. Um, but look at first, uh, excuse me, Second Timothy, chapter one, verses seven through ten. So 
2 Timothy chapter 1. Seven through ten says, "For the Spirit of God, for the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but He gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, or of me, His prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel, by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we've done, but because of His own purpose and grace." This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immort immortality to light through the gospel. Now, in Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5, I'm giving you a lot of scripture on this um, and then we're going to kind of bring it full circle here in just a couple of minutes Ephesians 2 verses 4 and 5 says because of his great love for us God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions it's by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So I'm going to stop right there for just a second. What, does anybody know what Romans 5.8 says? Jim's nodding his head. For God demonstrates his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So... What does it mean to say, while we were still sinners? If our sins were with him on the cross, was God aware of my sin before the foundation of the world? Was I still a sinner then? Yes. So we could say, well, I wasn't even in existence then. There was already a plan in place. For us to, to be born, there was a plan in place for us to live, to st and there was a plan in place, not God's intention, but God knowing that we would sin, put Jesus on the cross, knowing that it was going to be enough to pay for my sin in the future. And so it's kind of a, it's kind of a weird three-dimensional kind of thing or a fourth-dimension kind of thing, but God living outside of time was able to look forward to see David Mannion, in all the sins that I was going to commit, I've heard people pray this before, and it, and it just, first time I heard it, I was like, wow, you know. But I've heard people pray, Lord, thank you that you're the only one that knows every sin that I've committed. And the cool thing is, is he knew that before the foundation of the world, and he knew that Jesus was going to have to come to die for that sin, and he did it, and so that every person who chooses to follow him receives that gift and every person that chooses not to follow him jesus still died for that person but they don't reap the reward for christian living instead they reap death and they reap this destruction so if we continue reading in ephesians 2 uh, verses 6 through 10 this is what grace is and god raised us with christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in christ jesus in order that the coming ages in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed 
in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it's by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So in other words, when we get saved, we're saved by grace, by putting our faith and our trust in him, completely surrendering to him and making him master of our life. And when we realize what God has done for us, it compels us to do the things that he wants for us to do. So then uh, the last passage in, on this one is, is 1 Timothy chapter 2. First Timothy 2, verses 1 through 6. He says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings, and for all those in authority. Does that include Joe Biden? Yeah. Did God die? Did Jesus die for Joe Biden. Um, <clears throat> we should be praying for kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. For there's one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to all, uh, this has now been witnessed to at the proper time. Yeah. Why would he put him in power? Because by nature we're evil. And so if you ask, and, and I, this is just speculation. Um, if you ask every Christian, every follower of Jesus Christ, is Joe Biden the best leader for our country to bring us into godliness as a nation? What would they say? Okay. God can, absolutely, that is true. But, but just knowing what we know by our own, own observations, we would say, we would answer, okay, well, I don't think that Joe Biden is probably the most godly person uh, for the position. And so then the next question is, were there Christians who voted for him over the other options? Okay. Okay. So all of these are speculations. So by per capita, then, how many Christians do you believe there are versus how many unbelievers there are? There's probably more unbelievers, and not to mention there are many probably who call themselves, yeah, Christians, in, in air quotes. There are many who say that they are Christians, but probably voted their pocketbook more than they voted truth or voted for spirituality or godliness, okay? And, and that's the war that goes on in the spirit realm when we are looking at 
um, you know, candidates for leadership in, in all different areas. Uh, and and we, we impose that type of thing on the church as well. Um, there's oftentimes uh, a pastor or a leader in a church will not be selected by what the Word of God says, but will, will be selected by who agrees with me the most on my stand on these different issues. And so we obviously we, we vote for our president and for our leaders uh, in that way. Um, the reality is, is how many people, when they went to the, went to the polls, voted for the most godly person or the most godly option? You know, oftentimes you look at them both and you go, well, neither one of them are really godly. Um, but, but you vote the lesser of two evils, and you know that, you know that someone who stands for abortion, uh, stands for, um, you know, the religious pluralism. I, I heard uh, John MacArthur say, I don't vote or I don't ask God or pray for religious freedom. And people were kind of shocked by that, and I was a little bit too. When he said that, I was kind of like, well, yeah, I want the freedom to worship the way I want to worship. And, and his point is, is when we do uh, promote religious freedom, we also promote all of the other religions that are anti-Christian. And we say to them, I give you the same uh, freedoms and the same authority or options uh, as, a, as a Christian. And he says, my God is a jealous God. Um, he doesn't want that option out there. He wants you to know that he is God. I am God. Um, and, and there are no other gods. And so uh, when we look at those kind of things, I, when you ask the question, why did God allow, allow Joe Biden into office? It's because that's what we asked for. That's the simplest answer. Um, mm-hmm. Right. The government, I don't trust in people because that's what scripture says. Oops. We trust the Lord only. Right. Yet So that's what scripture tells. Right. Scripture does tell us that we that we trust him. Uh, but Titus two says we have responsibilities. We have a responsibility to take the gospel message and to those who call themselves Christians, we take the gospel message and we disciple one another. Um, and so in, in that whole process, we are wanting to take the gospel out. And in, in that same passage, right about somewhere right in there in verse 10 or chapter 10 or 11, um, Paul says, if I could give up my salvation and die and go to hell for the salvation of Israel, I would do it. And if that's our attitude towards unbelievers, um, there's a song that we're going to sing this morning. And the, the song says, how can I keep from singing your name, your grace? Um, well, maybe we should write letters to our government. Maybe we should <laughs> 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 Right. So instead of us just talking about it and sort of 
bad-mouthing, so to speak. Let's see what we say. Let's right. see someone as to share the gospel. Right. I, mean, I know I'm going to be in position. I have to share the gospel with a couple of lawyers right now. Right. And, I, and I've been angry in them. I, I get that under control, but I <laughs> to share the gospel. Sure. I know God's calling me for that. Right. So if you're saying a Christian, it says to pray for them, mm-hmm. but if we are all supposed to be sharing the gospel, but shouldn't we be sending out letters or contacting them and sharing the gospel with these people? Yeah. I, I agree with that, um, and and we're often Abigail does the same thing. There's there's often times where letters come in, urging people to write to their senators, write to your governors, and tell them how you feel about this situation, or about that situation, and if you if you're not vocal about it, uh, people don't really know. Uh, and as we talked about, right, right. Well, yeah, and I was I was getting to that because. And it is how I feel about sin. So I don't want to see sin take place. And you demonstrate that or you live that example, like we said last week um, in the first several verses of chapter 2 in Titus. He's talking about how we disciple one another. He's talking about the purpose that each one of us have to to get into the gospel, to be self-controlled. You talk about getting anger under control. Uh, self-controlled is listed in that chapter like four times. Be self-controlled. Be self-controlled. Be self-controlled. What does be self-controlled mean? It means to be influenced and controlled by the Spirit of God and by His Word. And so my motivation to exercise truth is, is in this chapter in its entirety. So when he says all people in verse 11 of Titus chapter 2, the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Who is that? Everybody. Say that again. Everybody. It's everybody. Now there are some. There's some commentators that say that all people suggest that this refers to all people groups, not all people individuals. Okay, and so there's there's a caution here about that particular thing. There's, there's the word all is used in many, many different places in the New Testament of d- pertaining to the church. And there are different Greek words uh, for the words all. And we're going to take a look at those for just a second. In Titus 2.11, the verse we're looking at, the Greek word is passin. And in every, every one that I looked at, every word all that I looked at, the Greek word is described, in every case, it's an adjective. And the definition of the word all is the same in every case. Okay, and the definition of all is, means the whole, or every kind of, including all the forms of declension. Okay, and that word declension, I went, what does that mean? What that means is if there's not a good translation from Greek to English or from another language to another language, that is irrelevant. It means all. It means everything. Okay, so in other words, if there's a difficulty translating the words, it means every person. Okay, but the difference in the Greek between them is a deative masculine plural uh, grammar. And what that means, uh, I can get to give you an example, is would be like, I would say something like this. I went to the park today, and I brought treats for all the dogs. Okay? 
Say there were 48 dogs there. I brought treats for all the dogs. That doesn't mean that every dog came to me and took a treat, but it was there for every dog, every animal to participate. So when God says, the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people, there's not anyone excluded that has the offer of salvation. Okay? So then if we, if we go to Romans 3.23, which we read just a little bit ago, that word, the Greek, is pantes, P-A-N-T-E-S. And again, it's an adjective, uh, but it's the nominative masculine plural, grammar. And if we read that verse, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Again, it's an adjective, has the same definition, the whole, every kind of, including all forms of, of declension, but it's in the nominative masculine plural. In other words, because Adam sinned, you were all nominated and included in that sin. Everybody. Every individual. And so um, that becomes the collective group. If you were born, uh, if you were conceived, and you have a soul or a spirit, you were included in the sin nature. You were nominated into that. And so you, um, if you look at Romans 5.12 as well. Therefore, this is the description right here. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. It's not specific to the sin that I've committed, but I'm under the original sin uh, at this point until the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So an example of that is anybody who was born in any state of the United States is considered a U.S. citizen. Okay? And that would be kind of an example. Um, only God says, if you have a spirit, if you were conceived, if you have a soul, you you fall in the category of a man, mankind under sin nature. Okay, so then if we look at Romans 11.32. Am I confusing everybody really good? <laughs> one more, one more here. Um, Romans 11.32. For God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. Okay, again, same definition for the word all, um, but this is also an adjective. The Greek word is pantas, P-A-N-T-A-S instead of P-A-N-T-E-S. And that's accusative masculine plural grammar. And what that means is in each one of these, I can say, I can take and put my own name in place of all, okay? But in this particular uh, Rome, Romans 11, 32, for God has bound David Mannion over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on David Mannion. And it's exclusive and inclusive at the same time, okay? Meaning that it's exclusive, or I'm sorry, it's inclusive all the time. I I'm, I'm got that confused with the other one. Um, 
it's inclusive of everybody. Everybody has been bound over to disobedience so that God shows mercy on everybody. Yes. Yes. And anywhere that there is free will to choose between evil and, and righteousness, we're going to choose evil. I mean, that's just all there is to it. Um, and it's not because that's what God ordained. It's what he already knew was going to happen. And we, he already knew uh, because of the fall, he already, well, sorry, he already knew that evil would be so enticing to elevate ourselves that we would choose it and that there would be pleasure in it for a little while until we realized what the consequences were. And that's kind of the amazing thing of this particular passage that helps me to realize how great grace really is. Or maybe I still don't understand how, grace, how great grace really is, but now grace has become so much more than what I ever thought it was because... I'm seeing that God saw every detail of my life beforehand and he says, I still love you and I'm still going to die for you and I still want you to, to come to me on my terms so that I can give you the reward in heaven that's waiting. And so, um, it, I mean, it, it's just, it's so overwhelming um, when I, when, I just continue to read and I continue to, to realize, um, you know, that at one point in my life, yeah, Lord, I want you a part of my life. I want you to help me get through a good work day. I want you to protect my family. Don't let my house blow down by a tornado. You know, don't let me have a car accident on the way home to, wow, Lord, you know, even if you strip everything away from me, knowing that you're walking with me and that I'm going to be with you one day, that's enough. That's, that's perfect. That's, that's just ideal. And you want me to share this with everybody that I know because you love them more than I could possibly understand. Okay, I'll do it. And even if it costs me. So when we go back to Titus chapter 2, verse 12... Uh -huh. Sinful, sinful men being in charge. Our responsibility, if it's laid on your heart, you should be writing those letters, sharing the gospel, spending the time, meeting with them to share the gospel. Right. And we'll get into that when we get into chapter 3, because the first couple verses in chapter 3 tell us to, to be subject to them as though you were being subject to Christ, as long as they're doing what God says is good. And when God says, if they're doing and leading in a way that God says is not good, then we are to do just that with gentleness and respect. Say, this is ungodly, and I'm sorry, but I'm not going to comply. You know, so what I'm hearing from a lot of, lot of churches, I mean, in our community, and a lot of pastors are saying, and, and rightfully so, I, I don't disagree with this. They're saying, you know what, I don't trust the government. I don't trust the CDC. I know we closed our church in the past, but we're not going to close again. We're not going to listen to them. And, and there's a respectful way to do that and to say to the government, 
we're going to follow our Lord, and I'm sorry if, the, if you disagree with it. The, the issue that I have is the devil goes, hmm, okay, well, I can't get him with that anymore. Let's see what bad weather does. And in the month of February, half the churches in Mendota were closed because it was too cold and there was too much snow on the ground. You know, they, they closed their doors. And I'm looking at that going, no, come in, do your thing. And if people are unable to get there, that's a different story. But if you close the doors and say, you know what, nobody's going to get saved today. Nobody's going to hear, you know, be discipled today. Nobody's going to be challenged in their sin today or, or equipped for the next week. We're going to make that decision for the entire church right now. We don't have the right to do that. We have the responsibility to have the doors open, and when people show up, we're supposed to give them the truth and give them the word and that kind of thing. So I look at that, and I, you know, and I struggled with that because I, I sat in McDonald's parking lot eating my sandwich going, well, McDonald's is open today. Sullivan's is open. CVS is open. People are going to work. Why are the churches closed? You know, and I'm, I'm, I, I'm like you. I'm getting frustrated. Urgh, you know? <laughs> I want to talk to some of these people, you know, that made these decisions. And uh, so anyway, we, we have a responsibility to challenge the government when the government is asking Christians to do things that are ungodly. So I think that's why Jesus said, share the gospel. Because yes. they need to hear these words and there right. needs to be a heart change. Right. But also, there's many people who profess to be Christians and you start talking to them, they don't know their Bible, they don't even know what's in the Bible. So a lot You're of right. Right, right, and that's important to, to know because if we back up to verse 7 in Titus 2, in everything, set them an example by doing what is good. So, and then in your teaching, show integrity and seriousness and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. So what you say and what you do have to match. You know, so... We were talking about this before during the prayer before uh, Sunday school started. We were talking about um, there are a lot of people out there that have an incredible knowledge of the scripture, of, of what the Bible says, and can quote scripture, and they can tell you what you should do, but their lives have no integrity. Their lives don't match, and, and I'm the first one to admit that I have been there, and I struggle not to go back there. You know, I have to stay in the word, and I have to stay humble before the Lord, to be able to say, you know what, Lord, I, I read this. I, I, I didn't agree with it for most of my life because I was taught this way or that way. But you know what? Wow. You're showing me something different, and I, I repent, and I'm going to obey. And so when people see that happen, that transition in your life, you can go to them with the word of God, and they're going to listen to you, and they're going to go, you know what? I've seen that change in you. Tell me more. And they may not admit to it or give into it right away, but there's a, there's a respect that comes then all of a sudden because you're actually living what you say you believe. And you're fully committed to sticking it out no matter what the circumstances may be. So, and that's been, that's been a huge uh, d topic of discussion as, as COVID has come in and things like that. And we, we think about that kind of thing. Um, We'll, we'll say things like, well, we need to separate or we need to, you know, close for this reason or that reason because of a disease, when the reality is God knew before the foundation of the world if I was going to get a disease 
and die from it in obedience or if I was going to get a disease and die from it outside of obedience? That's the question. Am I doing what God wants me to do today? And if the answer is yes, I always die on time. I'm never late. I'm never early. And it's never outside of his plan and, and, and you know, his uh, uh, purpose for my life. And when Paul says for me to live as Christ and to die as gain, if I'm convinced of that, I know that I will have my crown of righteousness when the day comes. And it's going to be, I'm sorry, but it's going to be far better than sitting in here in a room with all you guys. Okay, I love you guys, but I hope we're all sitting in a room together up there uh, praising and, and, and worshiping God um, so at some point beyond today. With a perfect heart. With a perfect heart. Perfect. Right. Perfect everything. Complete. And I understand so, everyone goes, well, perfect now, and I agree with that because that's scripture because of Jesus. He's indwelling in us, but we still got problems. We got this sin nature. Right. And right. so when we talk about Christians, because even the world thinks as Christians, we should be all like perfect. And it's like, it'd be great to be all, but we're not. Right. <laughs> we and I think that's, not. we still got our sin nature. And I think oftentimes what you're saying right there is the flaw in our, in our evangelism. Okay. Um, because it's easy to say, well, I have Jesus and you don't. And when you approach somebody that way, there's automatic, you're automatically offensive. Um, and not in a godly way. And when Paul approaches people, and Timothy and Peter, they approach people and say, sinner to sinner, I'm a sinner just like you. Let me tell you what Jesus did for sinners like us. Yeah, they, they might. Um, you know, and yeah, I mean, and, and, and that's true because, and why is that? It's because it's our nature to, to automatically compare ourselves to someone who's worse than we are, you know, and if we can find even a group of people, that's even better. Um, if we can find a group of people that are worse than us, you know, by comparison, then we can, we can look at that and it's easy for us to say, wow, you know, I'm not too bad compared to that guy, you know, and, and the reality is I've probably had the same thoughts as every murderer in the prisons today. At some point. So I never, so people, if I never thought of that, Dave, I always compare myself to God and I always fall. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I never thought about people when you say you're a sinner, so they're thinking of someone else in their brain, they're comparing it to another person. Right. They're, they're, they're giving it, you're, you know, it's, it's easy for, the, for, for that person to go, wow, I'm worse than you. Right, right. That's what we as Christians have the the propensity to do that, uh, and we're supposed to compare ourselves to God, but we're not supposed to put everybody else around us in that comparison. Because when Paul writes, even he's when he's talking about communion, uh, when he's talking to the church in Corinth, he tells each person he's saying, "Judge for yourselves. If you had judged for yourselves rightly, your own self." If you would examine your own life, then you understand um, what Jesus did. But you're examining this way, right. not this, not this <coughs> Right, said, right. Let, your, you know, let each person examine themselves before God and see if they're taking of the blood 
and the body of Jesus Christ in an unworthy manner? And the answer to that for me is every time, if I'm not repenting of the sins that I've done and the things that he shows me on a regular basis, um, you know, because every time he shows me something new, it was always a sin up until the point that I understood. It was still a sin. So then when I understand, I, Lord, I repent today and I'm changing this because I understand now what your word says. And you are showing me and teaching me. So when we look at Titus 2.12, or 2.12, in the first three words, it says, it teaches us, um, very simply translate, it disciplines us. Okay? Um, grace is a disciplinarian. Grace is not something that's just a, a it, it's a free gift to us, but it doesn't come without responsibility. So as we understand more and more about grace, we have the responsibility to do the next line to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled and upright and godly lives in this present age. So um, the message of God's grace, when its full implications are seen, leads Christians negatively to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and positively say Yes, to being self-controlled and upright and live a godly life. And all the specific instructions of Titus 2, 1 through 10 are completely met uh, in these two negative and positive categories. So even if we go back to Genesis 2, 16 and 17, and God gives the command, it says, And the Lord God commanded the man, you may eat of every tree in the garden. And I found it interesting that, that it says he commanded man you may eat from every tree in the garden what is the command okay eat from is he telling adam go eat from every tree no he's commanding the man you will have i'm commanding you you will have free will choose right Okay, so he's giving the command, you have the choice to make, and I want you to choose this way. And then what he goes on to say, I'm not going to manipulate you into obedience. I'm not going to force you into choosing right. I'm not going to force you into not voting for Joe Biden. I'm not going to force you to exceed the speed limit or to obey the speed limit. So he says, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat, you will certainly die. By the way, that's not what I want. I want you to choose not to eat. I want you to choose me to be sovereign over your life. And so this, this choice that's being made here, when we get back into Titus 2, the choice is we can live godly or we can live for ourselves. And it's the same battle taking place inside of us when we choose to follow Jesus Christ or choose to follow uh, our own desires as, as Adam had when he was in the garden and Eve handed him the apple. Or I'm sorry, it's not, I don't know that it was an apple. I, that's just the picture that's always given. So I just naturally go there. But when Eve takes and eats the fruit and Adam's going, hmm, what's going to happen? 
And then he sits back and he waits for her as she eats it. And then Adam takes it, and, and then immediately we know what happens from there. You know, they understand, they realize they're naked, they understand good and evil. Okay, now I've experientially encountered evil, even though God told me it was in existence and I had to be aware of it, be careful of it. Um, anyway, we're going we're gonna to go ahead and stop right there, but Hebrews, I'll just mention real quick, Hebrews eleven twenty four through 28 gives the example of Moses when God gave the instructions to Moses uh, to lead the people out of Egypt to, to institute the Passover. All of the things that he was being told, Moses had never experienced anything like it. And not only that, is Moses chose to walk out of Pharaoh's house and all of the, the benefits that went along with living in the Pharaoh's home, he chose to walk away from for the sake of following God and saving his people. And he forfeited that, realizing the cost um, at that moment in time. So, and that's what God is asking us to do. It often means forfeiting, you know, some things in our own life, uh, some material, sometimes relationships. Um, but the reality is, is the, the reward that comes in the end, as we're reading and we'll finish up next week in Titus 2, um, as we look forward to the blessed hope of the appearing of Jesus Christ and we um, share in the reward that comes as a result of obedience. Thank you for your attention, your time this morning. God bless you guys.